And we are underway, broadcasting to from our remote Pittsburgh studios, north of the steel city of Pittsburgh, PA, where we bring to you today episode number 66 of our podcast, Steel City Sports Talk. My name is Alex Brown. And I'm Ryan Barry. And together we are your hosts for this podcast. And Ryan, it's been since the 3rd of November. Happy New Year to the listeners. Happy New Year to you. And let's get started with a new year of topics. I can't believe I didn't even realize it was that long ago. Man, that's like, that's over two months. Crazy. But uh, yes, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of good things happen. Uh, probably a lot more good than bad for the team that we're about to talk about in uh, pit football. And then we'll move on to pit basketball and go through the rest. Or maybe Steelers next. What did you want to do next, Steelers? Uh, Penguins, we got Penguins too to talk about. We're in the midst of it all. Yeah, there's a lot going on. The Penguins have hit a little rough stretch, but we're finally back doing a podcast. It feels like ages since we've since we've done one, and it has been. It's been like it's been a year <laughs> since last year. <laughs> it has absolutely. Uh, but Ryan, let's start first off by talking about the Pitt Panthers football team. Finished nine and four, second um, in the ACC overall, and they really had a pretty good year considering everything that happened at the quarterback position. Yeah. Considering you lost uh, a Heisman uh, finalist and then your best receiver, it's, it's a good season. I'd say expectations were probably higher. Maybe the expectations were too high, but I think they were definitely achievable in looking at uh, who Pitt lost to in the schedule this year. I don't think there was any reason this team couldn't have won 10 regular season games, especially seeing them close out the year, beating the number 18 team in the country uh, without eight starters uh, and a really, really good offensive team in UCLA and which defense that was lost probably half of their starters. Uh, <laughs> like just shut them down in the second half to win the game. And I mean, it was just great to be able to finish the year on the high note. There are lots of highs and lows this year, but finish the season on a five game winning streak was definitely impressive. But I guess we could take a look back on, the entire season because now it's over and you start looking towards next year, but you won't forget what happened this year. And you definitely won't forget the way this year started off with the game against West Virginia it was 38 31. And that game was actually more so dominated by the, on the backs of Rodney Hammond. Cause Izzy had a really tough game in that game. He did score a receiving touchdown, but Hammond carried the load with 74 yards and two touchdowns on 16 carries. I mean, he, he really carried pit this game and he ended up getting hurt at the end of it. And, uh, or Izzy said, if he didn't get hurt on that, he probably would have split carries and maybe even gotten more carries than Izzy the rest, like throughout the rest of the season. But then Izzy just came in and he just dominated from there. And it was tough to get him and as many carries, but which is something interesting to think about because Dude said that a lot of people thought thought that Hamlin was actually the better running back in the of the, of the two. So that bodes well for next year as well. I mean, uh, that was Slovis' best game of the year, probably 308 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he managed the game well. So that was definitely a high note, but the ending won't be forgotten. That one with that MG Devonshire pick six, uh, tipped off the hands of Ford Wheaton's hands right into him, uh, and he took it to the house. That was an ending and an <laughs> incredibly memorable game. And with the return to the backyard brawl, I mean, that was something that you won't forget. <laughs> no, not at all, Ryan. And that turnover to Devonshire was really a foreshadowing effect for the rest of the year for the defense. The Pitt defense had a lot of great plays in big moments, sacks, interceptions. And those were really moments 
that carried Pitt in so many different victories over the course of the year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the next week, I mean, you look at you talk about the defense being dominating. I mean, they held Tennessee to 27 regulation points, which was, I believe, their lowest in regulation of the entire season. Maybe one other game where Hooker got hurt is when they were lower, but I believe that was the lowest. Uh, and that was just a really impressive game. And Pitt probably should have pulled that one out in the end. Uh, of course, that was the game Slovis had a monster first half and then ended up getting hurt on the last play of the first half when uh, – I mean, you can't really blame the decision, but Dews had him drop back to pass in about 30 seconds trying to get into field goal range. I mean, in hindsight, obviously, you don't want to do that, but you're trying to score and trying to get a lead going to halftime uh, of a really, really important ranked matchup against a good team, an SEC team in that. So you, I understand being aggressive there, but it, looking back, you're like, oh, wish you wouldn't have done that because maybe it would have been a different year if Slovis didn't suffer that concussion against Tennessee. Then they lost that one 34-27 in overtime. But there were some good moments in that one, especially the defense holding Tennessee without a touchdown in the second half. Uh, Nick Patty comes and fires a great pass to Jared Wayne to send it to overtime. Maybe they should have won for two there. Who knows? If they would have won for two, they would have gone uh, maybe a one-point lead if they scored it. And then if they did stop Tennessee from getting into field goal range after that, so they would have won the game there. Uh, so you always think about that, but you just kind of want to get to overtime, maybe with a back quarterback who was limping around the entire game, you maybe just want to end it in regulation, but they did in Tennessee, pulled it out. That was a tough loss, but it was against a really good team. So that was probably the least upset you'll be out of any of the losses this year for Pitt. I think absolutely so. And then the only game where Tennessee scored less points was against Georgia, who's now in the national championship. So that gives you an idea of how Pitt's defense was able to shut down that Tennessee offense. Um, Pitt then from there, they beat Western Michigan with Nate Yarnell, um, and then they beat Rhode Island. So two two wins against opponents that in the past they've struggled with as they lost to Western Michigan. Back in 2021, they finished the job. This year, Rhode Island, they beat them and then went on to Georgia Tech, Ryan. And that's that started at a four-game trend for Pitt in which they were one in three getting into ACC play. And that was the toughest part of the year by far. Yeah, that month of October was absolutely brutal. Uh, they started off with, which was one of the worst losses, I think, of not Pat Aruzzi's time here. Because uh, Pitt was 20-point favorite. Georgia Tech had just fired their coach, Jeff Collins, uh, promoted Brent Key uh, to head coach. And I think that was the best move that Georgia Tech could have made. And I think it was the worst thing for Pitt. Because Jeff Collins did not have this players motivated. He did not have them ready to play. And then all of a sudden, they get this Brent Key. They promote him, and the players want to play for him. They play passionate. It was a rainy, wet night. Slobus was was really bad. One interception. He had obviously played a lot worse watching that game. Uh, he had a couple touchdowns on the garbage time. But he had a really rough game. The whole team had a rough game. You can't blame that game on the defense. But there were costly fumbles. I remember following along because I couldn't get the game. I wasn't uh, watching the game on TV. I remember following along. And Pitt had a chance to take the lead, I believe, in uh, Vincent Davis. It in Pitt territory. And Georgia Tech took the lead. And then Pitt tried to get back into it. And was close at the end. But that, that fumble really just started that trend. I mean, that was a really tough game. It was the least attended game of the year. It was... It was just a brutal game, a brutal loss for Pitt. The, the weather was terrible for that game, too. And then um, they had that opportunity, as you said, to come back towards the end, and they just couldn't make it work. But uh, uh, Slovis, that's when you start to really see the ho the holes 
in Slovis's game, and that carried on to the Virginia Tech game as he was 15 to 28 run for 170 yards in an interception. They, granted, they did win that game, but Slovis was clearly the worst quarterback in that game uh, compared to Grant Wells for Virginia Tech, who got 277 yards, a touchdown interception, but Pitt won that game solely because of the efforts of Israel Abnakanda, who had, and th- had 36 carries around 320 yards and six touchdowns. Yeah, that game wasn't the prettiest, but man, you got to witness history. And I say my ticket, <laughs> my ticket from that one. I mean, 320 yards, six touchdowns is unbelievable. Slovis was really bad that game. And Virginia Tech actually played, that was probably one of their best games of the year. Uh, I remember they had a chance to take the lead, I believe they were on the mid, midfield. And John Morgan had a huge hit in which Virginia Tech fumbled it, pick up the ball back, scored a touchdown. And then they also had a fumble recovery for a touchdown that really just ended the game. But, I mean, it looked like a blowout. But it was it was close throughout it. But it was like, finally, you're like, okay, you lost to Georgia Tech. That's a bad loss. But at least you beat Virginia Tech. And now you could you control your own destiny in the Coastal if you win out. And then came the Louisville game. And Pitt lost that one 24-10. Uh, it was probably a little bit close in that. There was one touchdown scored at the very end by Louisville. But it, it was another brutal offensive performance, and one where Slovis should have been pulled. He had two interceptions, 160 yards on 30 attempts. Banakanda, Izzy, had 130 yards and a touchdown. He played good. The defense wasn't great, but the offense was much, much worse. And that was just a really, really tough loss again at Louisville, a team that you should beat. Louisville was decent this year, but it was not a team that Pitt should have lost to especially the pit team that we saw the second half of the year. And it was just a really, really frustrating game to watch and really, really frustrating loss. And that, Ryan, that came a week prior to that Louisville beat Virginia in a game where if they had lost that matchup, Scott Satterfield was going to be sacked um, before the, that pit game um, the following week. And they, that, they beat Virginia and then they beat Pitt as a part of a four game winning streak and now Scott Satterfield no longer there, now at Cincinnati. But as you said, just a tough loss, and they really never had a, a firm grip or even a um, – and never, never, you, never any confidence, really, that they would come and win that game, especially as once that game progressed to halftime. And then Pitt played North Carolina, had a great half one. And I thought they were going to blow them out at some points. It that did. Game. It did, but Drake May – really showed himself to be the best quarterback on the field um, at UNC that that night and beat Pitt soundly in the end. Yeah, and that was a frustrating game. There was another fumble that really ended. I mean, it was close. I think going into the fourth quarter, Pitt had the lead <laughs> and I had a chance to extend the lead. And then Izzy fumbled. It was a bad fumble. Obviously, he had a good game that game, but it was a fumble I think Pitt was up three at the time, and then UNC took it, took it down, scored touchdown. Didn't look, and Pitt didn't score again from there. But if you you think if you're around midfield and you can get a touchdown there, go up ten. I mean, that completely changes the complexity of the fourth quarter. And I think Pitt goes on would have went on to win that game, which would have would would have would would have won them the coastal because UNC actually would have finished with the same record as Pitt if Pitt had won that game, and Pitt would have had the tiebreaker and won the coastal. So even with those losses, uh, the bad losses at Georgia Tech and Louisville, Pitt still had a chance to control their own destiny because of the way North Carolina finished, but they weren't unable to do that. But then 
they went on to Syracuse. They played Syracuse at home, and it was kind of an ugly game, but the defense came, came playing that one. It was Dustin Alexander's best game as a Pitt player. Uh, Pitt dominated Syracuse in that one defensively. Had some moments offensively. Slovis, again, was, wasn't very good. Had an interception uh, on 23 attempts, only 170 yards. Hammond uh, played really good in that game, 124 yards in touchdown. Izzy did not play in that game. I don't know if I mentioned him as playing, but Sebo had 12 carries for 42 yards in that game, so that was kind of his coming out party. But Desen Alexander had uh, two and a half sacks. That was definitely, and he ended it with a safety at the end, too. And Pitt won that one, 19 to nine. And that was a much needed win because Syracuse was ranked number 20 at the time, so it was a top 25 win and a good win for Pitt. But Syracuse went downhill after that game. But then Pitt traveled to Virginia. And then Pitt beat Virginia <laughs> 37 to seven. The defense on their first two plays from scrimmage got two pick sixes to start it off against Brennan Armstrong, who is uh, moving on. It appears Ryan, he could be going anywhere from Oklahoma state to Auburn. It appears um, next season as he's leaving after his offense coordinator departed prior to this, this season we just had. Um, but Virginia, not a good team, but Pitt capitalized on that. And they won that game 37 to seven again against Duke. Duke is not a bad team at all, Ryan. They're going to be better and better as the years go on here. Um, and Riley Leonard, a great quarterback at Duke, he's going to be interested to see how that's going to turn out over the next couple years in the ACC. And Pitt pulled that one out, 28-26. And then Miami at the end of the year, Ryan, was really uh, just beating a punching bag. I mean, that that was the game that really, really felt good to watch. Uh, I remember watching that game, and I was like, finally, a good performance against Miami. It was finally the offensive explosion that you've been waiting for all year. I mean, Izzy added two touchdowns, 111 yards. Slovis was probably his best. Uh, that of the West Virginia was probably his best game. He had three touchdowns, 262 yards. Jared Wayne had his one of his best games at Pitt, 205 yards and three touchdowns. Pitt won 42-16. That was just a really, really great game to finally do that to Miami. <laughs> who beat Pitt last year, maybe took them out of the college football playoff, maybe. Uh, that was probably more Western Michigan, but if you win that Miami game, you're 11-1 on the season going into the AC Championship, and then 12-1 with a, a decent chance at the playoff. I mean, that, that game really hurt last year. I think it motivated the players for this year, and obviously with Slovis' last game in a Pitt Panther uniform as he entered the transfer portal after that before the bowl game. Let's talk about that bowl game, Alex. Uh, so Pitt finished the season eight and four regular season, and then went to the Tony Tiger Sun Bowl. When you heard Tony Tiger Sun Bowl, you're like, "Ah, oh, not a great bowl game." But then you see the opponent. It's an 18th ranked team, uh, UCLA, who has no opt out. So it's a great test for these young players to get some playing time. And you're like, "Okay." I mean, it was forty thousand, a great crowd down in El Paso, and you're going into it like, you know, you're ex- you're not expecting a win. Like you weren't really expecting a win. I don't know if many Pitt fans were going in that one. Obviously, there were, there was a good amount or some that that were, but you go into that game not expecting much. You're eight point underdogs. Not a not a good chance to win at all. But then they go and put up a great performance, and they fight back. They're down fourteen points in the third quarter after a pick six that Patty threw. Come back to the next best and score a touchdown, and then. And then just, I think, believe it was an interception after that uh, that put and then Pitt countered with that with another touchdown, put them up 
20 or tie the game 28 28. Then there was a kickoff that was fallen by UCLA. Pitt kicks the field goal, goes up 31 28. Then Pitt hits the ball back again. Should have put it in the end zone with the drop pass to Jaron Wayne, I believe, on that drive, or maybe it was the next drive. That would have put Pitt up by 10. Pitt goes up by three, or goes up by six with another field goal. UCLA has gets the ball back. And then they turn it over on downs. You think Pitt has this one in the bag. And then on fourth and one, Ronnie Hammond fumbles it. UCLA goes down easy, easiest than they've done all, all game, it looked like. I mean, the second half was complete domination by the Pitt defense up until they drive it with 35 seconds left. UCLA scores a touchdown. And you're like, that's just the tale of the first half of the regular season. It's back. Now, these young players, it's just disappointing. And it was going to be one of the most disappointing losses with with the way that Pitt was, you think, should have ended that game and controlled the win being up by and having a chance to go by two scores there in the fourth quarter. But then Nick Patty has two unbelievable passes. Jared Wayne on the sideline that Bump Means, who had a, both of them had great catches. Bump Means was really impressive. It was bouncing around. He's not somebody able to bring it down. But then Nick Patty had the run of his life. I think it was 12 yards to get them a better field goal range, get them a first down. If he had been tackled before the first down marker, the game would have ended. The clock would have ran out, but he got the first down. The clock stopped. He spiked the ball, and then the rest is history. Ben Saul's nailing that 47-yard field goal perfectly down the middle with a lot of win, and that was just an incredible game. What are your main takeaways from that game, Alex, seeing how shorthanded Pitt was and them still being able to pull it a win against a really, really good UCLA football team? I would say Pitt is well-coached. Um, and they have a fight, a fight and a fire within them, Ryan, that is unlike any other team maybe that we've seen Pitt face this year. And that, that is in a quality, a distinct quality of good teams. And maybe Tennessee had that earlier this year against Pitt. That they, they really had some incredible energy um, as they had a really impressive season for Tennessee. But Pitt, that energy and that will to win the game regardless of the situation, regardless of where they're at, and um, regardless of who they're playing against. And they came back, as you said, and they beat UCLA by not playing UCLA's game, but by playing Pitt's game. And they knew, and UCLA knew what was going to happen for Pitt defensively. Randy Bates comes out after giving up 20, what was it, um, 21 points in the second quarter, 28 if you count the first third quarter touchdown. That um, well, that was an interception, though, so I won't even count that. So 21 in the first half. Randy Bates makes some excellent adjustments before they come back out, um, which is something that he's done really for most of the season as Pitt's defense has been right up there at the top as, as it's been under Narduzzi's tenure. And how about the grit from Nick Patty? Five years at Pitt, started three games, and he was able to finish his career at Pitt on this note, which is absolutely remarkable and just shows the character he has and the confidence and the faith that his teammates have in him. As Jared Wayne stayed for that game, he wasn't great, but he stayed for his teammate, Nick Patty. And um, it just shows what a great group Pitt has. Yeah, and it was the players wanted to win for him. They wanted to win for Nick. They wanted to send him out on top, and they they did that. I mean, it was just a great defensive performance. Four interceptions, uh, three off of Dorian Thompson Robinson, who was a really really good quarterback, uh, and Pitt just completely disrupted him and and caused him knocked him out of the game. I, mean, I know he was injured, but he was 
getting stretched out every which way on that sideline. He didn't know how, <laughs> what he was injured. It was like he was opting out of the fourth quarter, it almost looked like. But <laughs> but Pitt came out with a win, and that was a really, really impressive win. I think one of the best wins of Narduzzi's tenure with them being out as many players that they were in the game that many thought would be a blow on UCLA's favor. Pitt comes down to El Paso and wins that game with the dominating second half defensive performance. It was just a great game to watch and a really, really big win for the football program. Momentum going into the offseason. And we'll talk more about what the roster looked like on our next podcast. We won't go in too much of the transfer series when I try to get to other stuff. We talked about Pitt probably for about 20 minutes here, but uh, let's try to transition. But one one last thing. What grade would you give this season? Like out of 10, if you had if you had to put it based on expectations. If you based it on expectations, what would you say? I'll give him an eight. You give him an eight? Okay. I think I'll give him a seven. The expectation for me coming into this year was 10 wins. And looking at the losses, that probably should have been achieved. But losing your best quarterback, or not your best quarterback, losing a Heisman quarterback and losing a Blitnikoff winning receiver and then still getting the nine wins is impressive. But I feel like the expedition was 10 wins and that expectation could have been met. So I'll give it a seven because it's still a successful season. But in some ways there was there were disappointing moments and in some ways it was a disappointing season. But I will say it's a successful season. It's kind of a weird take, but I think there was it was a successful season, but it's disappointing because you think more could have been achieved. I, I hear exactly what you're saying. You're exactly right. But Pitt being able to come overcome all that adversity you stated and being able to churn out nine wins. I think is very impressive. And I think next year the team should be even better with Djokovic. And then their, their schedule is turning a little bit more favorable. They should get some ranked games next year as well within the ACC. And so I think it's going to be an exciting year going into next year. But I also think this year proves that Pitt is not a flash in the pan. Pat Narduzzi has built a program, not just a team, but a program going into um, next season and beyond. Definitely, Alex. Uh, it was fun year, and I'm looking forward to next year, too. I mean, it's a long way away, but uh, a lot of momentum now with that bull one. I mean, last year when you lost the Peach Bowl, and it was disappointing going into the offseason. Obviously, won the ACC championship. was the best year in 40 years. We still had a bad, kind of a sour taste in your mouth after the Peach Bowl. Now you have a great taste uh, in your mouth. Uh, it's like eating, <laughs> eating a nice, warm cookie out of the oven. I mean, uh, going into the offseason with a great ranked win, I feel like I'm coming – I'm. I'm turning into you now with with that phrase there, but it feels good to finally get a nice bull win, a really uh, ranked bull win, and it's good to go in the offseason on a high note. Uh, but now let's transition. What do you want to go next, Steelers or Pitt basketball? Let's go Pitt basketball since we're on the pit. And speaking of meeting or exceeding expectations, uh, Pitt basketball, Ryan, far exceeded, our I think, our wildest expectations so far into their season. Yeah, it's been absolutely awesome to watch. 11-4 and four after the way they started winning 10 out of their last 11 games. Uh, we won't go through that in depth of every game, but uh, they were 1-3 in their first three games. They beat UT Martin. They lost to West Virginia, Michigan, and VCU. Then had their some non-conference games. A nice win over Northwestern by 30 points. Uh, beat the normal uh, cupcake games, you could say. And then had a first conference game in uh, the beginning of December against NC State, in which they won 68-60 against NC State team that was playing really, really good basketball at the time. Then a disappointing loss to Vanderbilt uh, by one point in the game, which they almost won. They were up by, t- uh, up by one with about five seconds left. Vanderbilt got to the foul line uh, at the very end and knocked down both free throws to win it. Then Pitt uh, won their next couple 
uh, cupcake games, which was a good sight to see. I mean, in the past years, Pitt's always lost in one of those uh, cupcake games. I mean, last year they lost to Citadel, I believe, uh, Sacred Heart. Maybe one of those was the year prior, but they've they've lost a lot of those cupcake games, and it's good to finally blow out each one of those teams this year. But that pick got to conference play, beat Syracuse, beat North Carolina in a great game. <laughs> and then last night, or was it last night? No, two nights ago <laughs> against the 11th ranked Virginia. That was just an incredible game, 68-65. Pitt was down in that game by 14 in the second half, came back to win. 68 to 65 in the game, which they were basically dedicated to Demar Hamlin, who uh, who was in the hospital and we're continuing to think and pray about him. But that was they won by three points in the game. They dedicated to him on January 3rd. But that UNC and Virginia game really stick out to me because Pitt battled back in both those games. They're now by nine against UNC in the second half, down by 14 against Virginia in the second half. They come in those second halves and just Stay in the game. Stay in the game. And they get a spark. They, whenever they needed a shot in those games, they've got a shot. And it's from different people every time. The last six pit wins have had a different leading score uh, in each of those games. Last game was Nike Sabandi against Virginia. I mean, he was tied with Blake Kinsa, but I'll call, give it to Nike just for the state of this stat. Uh, but there's six different players over the last six games that have led Pitt scoring, and that's incredible. Uh, and the Jamaris Burton had 31 points against North Carolina. I mean, Pitt is firing on all cylinders right now without their all-ACC big man, John Hughley. I mean, they're 4-0 in the ACC, two ranked wins in a row, now have a chance Saturday against Clemson to go to 5-0 in the ACC against a 4-0 ACC team. And that game will be for the lead in the conference. And who would have said that Pitt will have a chance to take first place in the conference in 2023? It's just incredible to think about the team has been uh, the team was picked to finish 14th in the conference this year. They're playing absolutely incredible. And there's so many guys you could talk about that contribute to this. I mean, as I said, the last six games, six different leading scores in each of those games. Uh, and there's just been so many X factors, so many big plays. But I think none are bigger than big man Fetty Federico. And I know uh, you like talking about him, Alex. So what are your thoughts on the way that he's played and how big of an impact he's made, especially in the absence of John Hughley? Well, for a big man, he's certainly made an even bigger impact on Pitt so far this year, Ryan. And I think he's really stepped into some big shoes. Uh, you look in these some of these games, Pitt is out-rebounding some of these teams, these ranked opponents, in big ways. And that's so important to the, to the team over the course of a game. Federico against Virginia, Ryan, 11 rebounds, and he had eight points. If you can get that on a consistent basis for a man that's playing 34 minutes, he's He's as tall as a skyscraper, 6'11", 220 from Finland. I mean, this man is playing out of his mind. And this is something that has been missing in a way from Pitt over the last several years is a consistent source of rebounding, a consistent source of discipline. And to have that down low, is remarkable and I, this it's really impressive ryan as you mentioned hughley how pitt has been able to keep up the success this year without hughley at all really producing much at all he's had maybe one or two good games the rest he's either not played or he's been terrible and that's something that's got to change moving forward if pitt wants to make a run at the tournament and can you believe i'm even saying that ryan tournament pitt yeah, not the you nit look at pitt right not now, the right? NIT. Mm-hmm. You look at Pitt right yeah, now. Yeah, not the NIT. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at talking Pitt, about. Yeah, look at Pitt. You keep keep on going. <laughs> you look at Pitt right now, eleven and four overall, four and zero in the ACC. If they go, let's say they got sixteen ACC games left. If you go five hundred in those games, that gets you to nineteen wins overall, and I believe 19, 19 wins would be enough to get them in the tournament. But I think they can do better than that. I think they can get to 20, maybe even over 20 wins with the games that they have left. I mean, you look at every game Pitt has left. Uh, there's They are playing some good teams, but you have two against Louisville, who has been absolutely atrocious this year. Played Syracuse tough the other day, but it's been atrocious the entire year. Two games against Florida State. Florida State has been getting better, but they're still down at the bottom. If a game against Georgia Tech, you should beat. Wake Forest is a game that you should win. Uh, tough game against Clemson. Tough game against Miami. Uh, you play North Carolina again. That's always a tougher game. But then you also play Boston College. You also play Virginia Tech. Two struggling teams. You play Georgia Tech again. You play Syracuse again. And a team and a team you you beat the last time. Uh, I mean, you look at these games, and every game you look at, and you play Notre Dame is a game that Pitt can win. And there's only a couple where you say Pitt should lose, which is like maybe Miami. Uh, Probably one against North Carolina or Virginia, or one against North Carolina, or I'd say Syracuse. They'll lose one of those games. But you look at a lot of these games and you think Pitt should have no more than five or six losses the rest of the way. And I think they could do even better than that. I think you're absolutely right. Now, they'll probably lose one to Miami as well um, over the course of the rest of the year as they play them twice. And I, I see Pitt, Ryan, the next 16 games. Going ten and six at the very least, uh, based on who they play. And if you're in the top four in the ACC, regardless of what you do in the ACC tournament, um, barring that you lose badly in your first game, I think you're shooing into the NCAA tournament um, and being a part of March Madness for the first time in a long time. Yeah, and I think the ACC, just being the ACC, will probably get at least six teams in. So that's the goal: be top six in the ACC. And make no doubt about it that you should be in the tournament. And I think Pitt has the ability to do that the way they're playing right now. And I don't see them slowing down. Obviously, Clemson will be a tough game. Then Duke will be a tough game after that. But then you games against Georgia Tech, Louisville, Florida State, Wake Forest, four games that you should win. Could could really, I mean, if you lose to Clemson and Duke, it's like you're three, now you're 4 and 2 in the ACC with two ranked wins. Then if you win those next four that you should win, you bring 8 and 2 in the ACC and I mean, just going into the rest of the season, I mean, there's so much confidence. And I think Pitt will win uh, one of the two against Clemson and Duke. Duke really struggled last night against the NC State in a bad loss. Clemson played Virginia Tech tough. It was a it was a close game, but Clemson was able to pull it out of the end. But two winnable games for Pitt. I think they'll win one, one of two. But I also thought they would only win one of three uh, of the Virginia UNC Clemson Duke games, but now they already have they're two and zero in that, so they could they could prove me wrong, be three and one, maybe even four and zero. But it's just amazing that this time we're talking about Pitt maybe being a March Madness team when they were predicted fourteenth to finish fourteenth in the ACC. But we don't have much time left. Uh, try to transition to Steelers here, Alex. Well, let's do that, Ryan. The Steelers recently, since the bye week, they're six and two, and they're on their way, Ryan, to knocking on the door of the playoffs. They need some things to go right, but the reason that they're in the position they are today is because of T.J. Watt coming back into the lineup in which they have a completely different defense and confidence within that defense when he is back and the play recently of Kenny Pickett. 
Yeah, Alex, he's he's been he's been getting a lot better. Obviously, like just he's doing more touchdown passes, but he's doing what he needs to do to win the game. And that's what you can ask for right now with his last minute drives against the Raiders. And then last week against the Ravens to keep the Steelers in the playoff chase. And you can't say more about the way he's handled himself. And he definitely has that it factor that we've we've known since he's been at Pitt. We've known that. Not everybody's known that though. Not everyone's a Pitt head. Not everyone watches college games. But now the whole entire country knows that Kenny Pickett has what it takes to be an NFL quarterback. And he's got some things he has to work on still. Some some things that he has to improve on. But everything's there right now for Kenny Pickett and. and Everybody should know that he can. He's the potential to be a good NFL quarterback, uh, especially with the way he's carrying himself these last few weeks. Not uh, as as Thomas says, he smiled. He's been smiling in the face of adversity, but he's he's been great. The Steelers now going in last week have a chance to make the playoffs. You want to go over this playoff scenarios because I know you have them locked in in your head. I do, and it, it's it's concerning <clears throat> to me, Ryan. We get into a situation now where these teams are in different mindsets. We have the Bills. The Bills have to beat the Patriots this weekend. And the Bills, obviously, we know the situation, which happened on Monday night. Um, And that game is probably going to be called a no contest between the Bills and the Bengals, as they just about announced that today. And so it's really going to come down to winning percentages in terms of who's going to win the conference with the Chiefs. And basically, if the Chiefs win on um, Saturday against the Raiders, the Chiefs will probably win the conference based on the winning percentage. Um, But the Bills, it's a motivated Bills team, Ryan. Can the Bills go in and beat the Patriots? I mean, that's that's something that's going to be very interesting to see, is to see how the Patriots are going to be able to – counter the Bills in this game and what the Bills are going to be looking like in this one as that game is going to be played at Orchard Park. And then finally, Ryan, the only other thing that has to happen besides the Steelers beating the Browns is the Jets have to beat the Miami Dolphins. It was announced today, Ryan, that it is does not look like Mike White is going to be the starting quarterback for the New York Jets this Sunday. And that makes it a lot difficult, more difficult for the Pittsburgh Steelers as you might see uh, Joe Flacco in there as a starting quarterback. Uh, they're not. They're probably not going to turn to Zach Wilson again. You mean it makes it more difficult for the Jets or for the Steelers? I think it makes it more difficult for the Steelers because I don't see – it makes it more, um, I would say, unlikely that the Jets beat the Dolphins, regardless of who's their starting quarterback, as it's not going to be two again this week. Um, but that's what needs to happen, Ryan. I think it's what's going to happen – is what I've said all year. The Steelers have done just well enough to keep themselves in the playoff hunt, but they're not going to do well enough in order to make the playoffs, and they're going to have a worse draft pick because of it. Alex, here's what I think is going to happen. I, I like what you said there. I think I think the Steelers are going to beat the Browns. I think it's going to be Kenny Pickett's one of his best games of the year. I think he's going to go two or three touchdowns, and I think that game won't be a problem. But I And I think the Bills – I think they'll dominate the Patriots. I think they'll play, dedicate that game to DeMar Hamlin, and they'll play for him, and, and I think they'll they'll make good work with the Patriots. I think Josh Allen will have a great game, and I think that the Bills will win that one. What I think comes down to is that final game, Jets and Miami. I don't know the exact times for this game. I don't know if that comes after or if, or if that's earlier, uh, but I think it'll come down to that game, and if Joe Flacco's playing, I don't know how much I trust him to win a game for the Jets and – 
especially now that they've been eliminated from playoffs, I believe. Uh, that's that is correct, right? They've been eliminated. That is correct. Uh, I don't trust him very much to win the game. He's played all year. He's getting up there in age. I, I would have trusted Mike White a lot more. Uh, but I think Joe Flacco. Let's see if he's got some any ma- any magic left. Magic left in him. Help his old pals, the Steelers. Let's see if it happens. But uh, it's not it's not uh, looking great right now in that game for the Steelers. So all these games, right, are at one o'clock. Bills, Patriots, Jets, Dolphins, and Steelers, Browns, all at one o'clock. Um, and so that's going to be interesting to watch in real time and see all these games progress. But it's going to be a stressful afternoon to be a Steelers fan. But I don't know what is the right thing to root for here. Because if you listen to this, Rod, the Steelers. You want to make the playoffs. You, you want them to make the playoffs, but they're not going to win a game. This is a team that has not beaten a quarterback that in, in the last eight weeks, since the bye week, the best quarterback they've beaten. Um, I, I'm struck, Tyler Huntley, the Saints, Andy Dalton. That might be the best quarterback they've beaten in the last eight weeks. So they haven't beaten a quarterback this year other that's had the um, big name other than Joe Burrow in week one. And then you go down the list, you see the Patriots, Tom Brady, but that was when the Buccaneers stunk. I thought I thought you were about to skip him. I was waiting for that. <laughs> so I, Tom Brady, he's an old dog, but he has still has those same tricks. Um, but – very concerning to me is how the Steelers have played against good quarterbacks. And once you get in the playoffs, you're not going to be able to be able to hide behind that schedule anymore. And it's going to be, it's going to be a tough and maybe rude awakening rather than if you lose, if like things don't, not that they lose the game, I'd rather them beat the Browns and see the jets lose um, this weekend for them not to make the playoffs. Um, but you, I'd rather have a, the 18th overall pick and make the playoffs and get and get something different. I, I want the best pick now that they could get the rest of the year. But the experience that you give Kenny Pickett and some of these other players that have never played in a playoff game before might be invaluable. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think you always want to root for the playoffs no matter what. So I want the Steelers to make the playoffs. I think it'll be good experience for them to make the playoffs. And even if they don't win a game, I think you'd rather have them make the playoffs than miss the playoffs. And you never know what happens when you make the playoffs. You never know uh, how you're going to play. The defense has shown that they can, over the last probably six weeks, that they can win a game for the Steelers. So you never know what happens in the playoffs, especially with T.J. Watt back now. Uh, And he's starting to look, more like himself. You never know what can happen. So you want to root to make the playoffs uh, for experience, playoff experience. And I mean, you know what, you don't want the team to lose, especially if you're a fan. I think everyone should be rooting for the Steelers to make the playoffs this week. If the Steelers win this game, do they win a playoff game? Uh, Let's say they play the Bills. Yeah, I would say it depends on who they play. Uh, They lost the Bills pretty handily before, but that was Kenny Pickett's first start and the team has looked a lot better since that game. Uh I don't I think it would be a lot closer against the Bills. I don't know if they would win. Uh what would another option be? 
Uh, it would be the Bengals. How about the Bengals? I think you would rather play the Bengals. Because uh, the last game against the Bengals is actually a very winnable game, and Steelers probably could have should have came out on top in that one. Okay, inter- that's interesting. Um, but I think that if you're going to make the playoffs, I don't expect them to win a game. And so my perspective is, what's the point? What's the point of getting in just to get in? Mike Tomlin, he's done a great job keeping this team together this year. He butchered the QB situation though at the beginning of the year. Uh, and then he, he's really a glorified Marvin Lewis. Now, over the last 12 years, what has he really done with the Pittsburgh Steelers? It's- I think this year was an impressive coaching job, the second half of this year. Uh, you take a team that's down and out. <laughs> players could just mail it in. But he, he he kept the players engaged. He I mean, he took a team, and they won a lot of games they shouldn't have won. Uh, with a rookie quarterback, and now he's giving them a chance to make the playoffs in the final regular season game in what many thought was a rebuilding year. And I think it bodes well for next season if he makes some right moves of the offseason. I think the Steelers definitely make the playoffs next year, but I think they finished 9-8. It's it's a decent season uh, for Tomlin. Uh, but again, pretty soon, uh, decent isn't going to be enough for him. I think we can leave it at that. I like that line. Um, when Mike Tomlin looking to get his, what well, is it might be his 17th straight winning season as a coach of the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, never had a losing season as a head coach. And uh, he's looking to continue that this Sunday as they play the Browns. And I hope they just beat the doors off the Browns, but I would not be um, terribly upset if the Dolphins um, sneak ahead of the Steelers here um, going into the playoffs. And right now we talk a little about the Pens. Yeah, let's finish a little bit about the Penguins on a, what, four-game skid right now. Uh, I know a lot of people were upset, frustrated about it. Uh, you look at who this game is we're against, though. You have one against the Devils. Uh, and that was the game... The Devils are a good team. They're ahead of you in the standings. It was a disappointing loss, but you're playing a good team. Uh, and then you have the game. I think this was before the game against the Red Wings. Uh, and this is yep. probably the worst loss of them all. Down up 4 nothing, and then left them climb back and go into overtime. Uh, and it was a – I mean, you got a point, but it felt like you you almost lost points in that game on 4 nothing. Let them the storm back the rest of the game and went 5-4 in overtime. Uh, and then in the Bruins game, uh, you're up one nothing, and then just some defensive lapses in the final minutes that let the Bruins tie it and then win it in regulation. And that was a game you should have won. So it was disappointing, but it was against the best team in the NHL. But you should have won. And if you want to make a run in the playoffs, you got to show that you can win those games. And the Penguins over the last four, I'm missing what, what game? Am I, what team am I missing in that stretch? Uh, the Islanders. Yeah, and you had the game against the Islanders. That was a just that was like what a three goal loss, four goal loss, something like that. Yep, yep, four goal loss. But in uh, three of those games, you were unable to hold a lead down the stretch, and that's not what playoff teams do. But I think a lot of people are worried about the Penguins. I'm not really worried about the Penguins. I think they have a very good team. And I think they'll be fine. I think they'll put another good streak together uh, and climb back in out of out of the wild card. I believe they're in the wild card or just out of it right now. 
But uh, I think I think we'll be fine, and I think the Bengals are a very good team who have played some very bad games and had uh in a lost some close games. Like it's not like they're getting blown out. They had a bad, really bad game against the Islanders, but. I mean, you look at the Devils game. That was a one-goal loss, or maybe there was an empty net at the end. The Bruins game was a one-goal loss, uh, and it was a second away from that game going in overtime with Malkin's shot going past uh, the Bruins goalie uh, with maybe even half a second after the after the clock ran out. But uh, I think the Penguins will be fine. I think we'll put another winning streak together soon, but they got to get that first win to get their mojo and get their confidence back. I agree with that. And then the last seven games, Ryan, they're one, three, and uh, one, three, and two over there. That's not, that's not seven games. That's six. So they're one, four, and two in their last seven games, Ryan. And that's something that is concerning on the surface. But as you said, we know this team is a good team. They play tonight. They're out west. Um, they got Vegas tonight. And then they play Arizona and Vancouver, maybe get two wins. There's Vancouver is a home game um, uh, next Tuesday. Uh, but the Pens, it's it's concerning to me some of the ups and downs throughout the year. And I don't know if that falls on coaching, if that, if that falls on, but it's certainly concerning to me, the ups and downs and the seemingly um, flightiness of the Pens off offensive production and their ability to play sound defense at times. And that's going to be a, something that they need to shore up sooner rather than later. And I don't know if that's what, rather if that's by doing trades, Ron Hextall having to work the market or um, by just players having to play better. And that's obviously the case, but I don't know if you're having the right players in the lineup for most of the time, Pierre Oliver, Joseph Ryan, he is the least, amount of ice time among defensemen each time he goes out there for a game. And I think that needs to change because um, he I, he has to get – he has to, he can be nowhere below two minutes behind Brian Dumoulin on a given night because Dumoulin has been terrible. He had that penalty against Boston that they got a power play goal on, and it's just been a bluster and a comedy of errors really at times for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And we've seen Mike Sullivan a lot angrier over the last several games, and we've seen him maybe possibly throughout his tenure here in Pittsburgh on the bench. Yeah, I like that, Alex. Uh, what do you think the Penguins' record will be in the, over the next five games? Over the next five games, you got Vegas, Arizona, Vancouver, as I mentioned. Then you got Winnipeg and Carolina. I say they go 3-1-1. One, and one. I think they'll go 4-1, and one, and quite a lot of the, as you could say, the haters right now, uh, and, and there's a lot of good reasons to, to hate on the Penguins right now is they're not playing uh, very good hockey, but I think they'll start playing some good hockey coming up, and I think they'll go on another one of those good runs, and I think they'll be fine. And I think Sullivan's a good coach, and I think they're going to they're gonna start playing a lot better. But it's all going to start have to start with Jake Gensel. I think Jake Gensel is uh, sometimes the offensive catalyst. Crosby's been doing good. He, he can pick it up a little bit, but he's, he's been having a great year. Jake Gensel hasn't scored in – Oh, what was it? Seven games. He isn't a five on five goal in over two months. He's got to start yep. contributing and he's got to get his goal score and touchback. I think once he gets that back, the whole team will get their mojo back. And uh, I think the best player over the last couple of games has been Jason Zucker. And if he continues what he's doing uh, and the Malkin line is going to start firing on all cylinders, I think it's not going to take long for the Penguins to get on a, on a win streak. 
I really like how Malkin has played this year, Ryan. Um, and I think it's very encouraging to see the stars performing as they have. But, but now you start needing to, you start needing to see the role players step up. I believe it was last year when Brian Rust, um, or maybe two years ago, Ryan, but Brian Rust had a season um, where he had maybe three, four, five goals going into the month of February, and he scored 19 the rest of the way. And the, the Pens rode their success on that down the stretch. And this is something that maybe they need to see from Jay Gensel going down the stretch to really um, give them any boost that they possibly could get down the rest of the way. Um, but I have hope still. Yep, I do too. And I think it's going to be a fun second half of the year and hopefully a good playoff run. The Penguins, we've got a long way to go. Hopefully we'll have some more podcasts. And then uh, that closes up this podcast. Uh, finally good to get one back, Alex, huh? Absolutely. And if you made it to the end, congratulations. This is a long one, but we had a lot to talk about. And um, we look forward to doing these more regular as the as we move on. Yeah, but we thank you all for listening. Remember, we are your one-stop podcast for everything Pittsburgh sports. <laughs>